American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we're talking about the church that William Jennings Bryan dubbed the Cathedral of the Plains. This story reminds me a lot about the building of the medieval cathedrals in Europe. But we're talking about a church in the middle of Kansas. And even though Brian called it the Cathedral of the Plains, it really wasn't a cathedral at all, was it? No, it was just a church, just a parish church in Kansas. But when it was completed in 1911, it was the tallest church west of the Mississippi. The church seats 1,100, but the population of the town was only 1,700 when it was completed. So how did this enormous church end up being built in the middle of a small Kansas community? Well, it's because that's where the Volga Germans ended up. To start the story, we have to go back to Germany in the first half of the 18th century. War was raging with the Protestant Prussians on one side and then the Catholics of France and Austria on their own sides, and caught in the middle were these German Catholics along the River Rhine. Catherine the Great in 1762, Empress of Russia, put out invitations to farmers all over Europe to say, hey, I'll give you land if you come and do your farming here. Well, these Germans took her up on the, on the offer, and they settled around the Volga River there in Russia. She promised them land. She promised them autonomy, basically. She promised them they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't be conscripted into war. They could live in peace, just, just farm the land. Everything was great for about a century. Her successor, Tsar Alexander VI, started rolling back a lot of those, those liberties that she had guaranteed, and these Germans found themselves needing a new, another place to live. So they sent out parties to different parts of the world where there was freedom that they would, that they would be able to enjoy. And a number of those parties came to the United States, and one of them ended up finding in the center of Kansas conditions that were really conducive to their farming and their way of life. So they sent out, sent word back and a whole bunch of them started coming over and they settled in a town called Victoria. Victoria seems a strange name for a group of Germans coming to the United States from Russia to to call their, their town. Right. Well, they didn't name it that. The city that had actually been settled just a few years earlier by some English farmers who came over and wanted to make a go of it as pioneers. Well, it didn't work out so well. They found the conditions a little more harsh than they can handle. So they, shortly after these, these Germans showed up in 1876, the English went back to the East Coast and left left the town. So we have a group of Germans from Russia living in Kansas in a town named after a British queen. It's the American dream. Absolutely. So what else could they possibly want? Well, they needed a church. The British, British farmers did not build a church, at least not a Catholic church. Initially, they erected a cross at the center of town as their locus of prayer. Then a simple lean-to attached to a house was their first purpose-built church. There were circuit priests who had come to town on the weekends to offer mass, and the community just kept growing through immigration and by having children. Within two years, they had grown so much, the Diocese of Leavenworth needed to petition the German Capuchins based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to send priests. By the time the friars arrived in 1878, the community had erected their first standalone church, but it was already too small. So in two years, they had already outgrown another church. Yeah. The friars managed to secure a donation of 10 acres from the Union Pacific Railroad, and they built a 600-seat church, which was completed in 1884. This church was the first one really dedicated to a saint. It was dedicated to St. Fidelis of Sigmaringen, the 17th century Capuchin friar who was martyred by Calvinists in Switzerland. That one stood for two decades until it also became too small for the community. 
So now they're ready to build their fourth church. Yep. Yes, a fourth church. But the pastor in the early 1900s, Father Jerome Mueller, OFM cap, decided that they would build something to last, that they would never outgrow. Construction began in 1908. This new church would seat 1,100 and would soar more than 140 feet into the air. It's a really remarkable story of faith and hope. The idea that they uh, would build this enormous church in a small community because they believed the faith was that important. One of the things I really love their their uh, their chutzpah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> go big or go home, right? Yep. But they couldn't go home, so they went big. So to make this new huge grand church possible, Father Mueller required every male, twelve years and older, to provide forty five dollars, six cartloads of limestone, and four cartloads of sand each year until the church was completed. That must have been quite a burden, especially some of those families must have been, you know, large Catholic families. Oh, yeah. It, they, they would have they would have lots of lots of sons, lots of kids, lots of sons. To put the burden in perspective, the limestone came from a quarry seven miles away, cut into 10 foot long sections that were eight to 12 inches square. So these were massive. And the forty five dollars, if you were to look at that in twenty nineteen dollars, would be about one thousand two hundred thirty seven dollars. This was required of every family for every 12-year-old and older male. Some of the families actually took out loans to be able to afford it, but they did. In just three years, the massive, glorious church was completed. At the time, like I said before, it was the tallest church west of the Mississippi. Really a remarkable achievement. You know, when we were researching this story, we found an interview from the early 1970s with a man named John Dinkle, who had worked on the church with his family, and he was just 15 when it was completed. So, it was really interesting. He was talking about how when it was their family's turn to go get the sand or the stone that, that they would spend all day doing it and mm-hmm. would sometimes would make two and sometimes even three trips back and forth to bring all the sand there. And then when he was asked why they did it, he said, you must remember that when my parents came here, they were poor farmers, but the church was important. It was more important than anything else, just as it had been in Russia and before that in Germany. They wanted the church and they wanted it in a hurry. So they could worship there in their lifetime. So these Volga German peasant farmers built this enormous church on the prairie. And it's not surprising that someone like Brian would call it the Cathedral of the Plains. Right. Yeah. Brian, who had, who was not Catholic, he was Christian, but he was not Catholic. He had been the Democrat nominee for president three times. And at, in 1912, he was stumping for Woodrow Wilson. His train stopped in Victoria. And when he got out, he exclaimed that as his train was coming to town, he saw the twin spires just rising up out of the out of the prairie like it's the Cathedral of the Plains. And though it was not and never has been a cathedral, the name stuck. It's called that more than it's called St. Fidelis. Reportedly, the church still has this effect on people, including as they're driving along Interstate 70, which goes right past Victoria. The priests and staff at the church say that it's not uncommon to have people stop in who had never never been to Victoria before, had no intention of stopping in Victoria. But as they're driving along, they see the spires come up out of the ground and they're just so overawed by it. they drive off the freeway and drive and, and pull into the parking lot, walk into the church just to have this quiet moment with God. And the, the sto- they, there are stories of conversions and stories of people just having incredible moments there. That's awesome. And in uh, 2014, the church was elevated by the Vatican to the rank of a minor basilica. Though there are no plans at present to change the name to the Basilica of the Plains. These are all the Plains it is. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. <laughs>